It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now... Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, good afternoon and welcome to Talent Talk or whatever time of the day it is that you happen to be listening to the show. Welcome and I'm so happy you're here because I have two uh, really fun guests uh, who have been on the show before. Uh, veterans of the show, veterans of podcasts and radio themselves, and it's really exciting to have them on the show to be able to talk through what's kind of new and exciting about what they're thinking about, what they're doing, and I can't wait for you uh, to meet them in a moment. So, uh, you know, the show really is designed around my um, desire, my um, uh, maybe habit or even obsession with talking to smart people who have smart things to talk about and can expose us to new ideas, expose us to things we should be thinking about, suggest new books for us, and maybe give us some inspiration on how to get better, how to maybe make our places of employment, our employees, you know, work in a better environment, whatever it may be, whatever we can take from them, we can steal from their from their uh, really smart brains or their souls, I guess, <laughs> that we can take back to work. That's really why we're here. And so many of the great stories I was able to put in my first book, The Power of Company Culture. Love to have you check that out wherever you are in the world. It's on Amazon or Bowl or type it in. I'm sure you can find it somewhere. Talent Talk is live here just about every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. We generally record it here live in Costa Mesa, California, or on the road if I'm a uh, you know, traveling. So, but we then turn into a podcast so that you can listen to it anytime you want, but we'd love to always record it live first and then throw it up there on iTunes, or you can even find it on talenttalkradio.com. Um, real important, if you have a question for one of my two guests here today, love to have you pop that into Twitter. Just find at peopleg2. There we are live tweeting right now. Sarah, my social media guru, Sarah Blake is uh, actively live tweeting. And she'll be tagging the guests uh, in those posts. So if you go there, you can follow it live or you can even follow the hashtag Talent Talk. And that's where you can ask a question. And if you're listening live, we try to feed that into the questions. If you're listening after the fact, that's okay. My guests today are very active on Twitter and they'd be happy to answer the question at any time. So... All right, let's get to my guests. Uh, my first guest will be Tristan uh, Cromer, an innovation coach and founder of uh, Chromatic. And then uh, we'll bring in Craig... Uh, Looks like a Kissinger, uh, Director of Human Resources for National Tube Supply in after the break. But let's go ahead and bring in Tristan. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. How are you doing this morning? Good. How are you? Excellent. I'm glad Why don't you, you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, you know, about, about your background in leadership, uh, and of course, what you're doing over at your company. Sure. Um, my background in leadership is, is pretty varied. My career has been kind of a long and meandering roads through the music industry for 10 years, both as a band leader, producer, marketing 
marketing person and so forth, and I kind of wandered over into IT security, leveraging my marketing chops to uh, first start in the U.S. and uh, eventually wound up running an R&D team uh, and marketing team in Vietnam and overseeing the Chinese offices as, as well. And since then, I've spent about 10 years in Silicon Valley and working with you know, small, tiny, tiny companies with absolutely zero ready, revenue to as a coach and consultant working with the innovation department of the Fortune 100, companies like Unilever and Salesforce and LinkedIn and Walmart. So it's it's been pretty varied and across the board from, from very small companies to very large ones. And, and what is most of your focus like? I mean, what, what sort of services or what types of things does Chromatic uh, bring to the marketplace? So nowadays I spend most of my time uh, like I said, with the innovation departments, which means that um, we focus on helping companies with, with very uncertain futures, uh, figure out where and, and how they're going to be able to innovate um, in a market that's changing very, very rapidly. So sometimes that means digging in with a, an innovation team, sometimes no more than, than three or five people, trying to bring a new product to market and figure out how to do that in, in days and weeks, not years and, and months. So we really concentrate on being able to take a product to market as, as fast as humanly possible. And, and so if we're talking about innovation, and that usually starts at the top uh, as far as the direction and the focus. So maybe you could kind of highlight for us, where do you think executives are struggling when it comes you know, down to innovation? We've certainly heard a lot on this show around you know, sometimes it's a lack of focus. Sometimes it's you need to break it out and put it separately outside of the the day-to-day operations, um, you know, sometimes people just aren't even thinking about these things. So where are you seeing executive struggle? All of those things are really true, but I'm, I'm sure I'm talking to you, Chris. I mean, I'm, I'm sure from the people perspective, really the biggest struggle for executives is, is understanding that their framework for, for dealing with innovation uh, using their 20 years of experience is not going to work because their 20 years of experience is just telling them what has happened, not what's going to happen. And kind of breaking out of the mindset of, of I have 20 years of experience in this industry and I know what to do, so I'm just going to you know, command and control my way to victory, is, is simply not going to work when the future is getting more and more uncertain. So really just breaking that mindset and being able to admit that you don't know what's going to happen and approach innovation with a more mindset of curiosity and investigation rather than command and control is the biggest habit for them to break. Yeah, and, you know, so many people, uh, you know, I think maybe struggle with innovation, with disruption. Uh, I mean, you can just think back 10 years or 20 years into some of the things that have happened and how many people said, well, no one's going to do that, right? No one's going to buy that or no one's going to... I was going to watch, you know, videos of how to someone making something or telling you how to fix your washing machine on YouTube or whatever. And then you know, suddenly the, the, the tide turns. Right. Um, and so is it a matter of, of being open minded as a matter of, of being willing to just try things, even if you don't think they're going to work to, to kind of gauge your own, uh, you know, things? Or, or is it a matter of hiring people who can think that way, even if that's not your, your mode of thinking? So, you know, what, what's sort of the best approach for them? I, I think it's very hard to just hire people to do innovation for you. I mean, in, unless you're in a very stable industry that is simply not going to change at all in the next 10 years, which is really a very dwindling number of, of industries at this point. 
you really need to have innovation as a core competency. And you, like I said, if your habit and, and your instinct as a leader is to command and control and simply to tell people what to do, because you think your job as a boss is to know what to do, you're going to have a very tough time getting people with the right mindset to work for you. Uh, they're, they're simply not going to be, want to be micromanaged in that fashion. So you have to kind of adopt a, a mindset of humility and ignorance in, in terms of just admitting what you don't know and, again, being open to, to change your strategy at a moment's notice given the evidence of the market. So it's really about adopting a flexible mindset and adopting a strategy which, which acknowledges that things are going to change and trying to establish what are those milestones that, that indicate change is happening fast because when it comes, it, it just seems to happen o almost overnight these days. It, it's a long, slow journey, and then all of a sudden, everybody's, as you said, buying things online, streaming things online. Netflix was a, an overnight success that took 10 years to happen. So it's right. very slow and then very quickly. And, and when it comes to innovation, I certainly have seen examples on both ends of the spectrum. But sometimes it feels like, you know, trying to be first to the market, trying to be the one to be the innovator, to bring that new thing there can be successful and a, and a huge, you know, um, uh, value for a company. But I've also seen where, you know, being second is sort of the best thing, right? Let somebody else come up with that yeah. stuff and try to figure it out. But then you take their innovation and you make it better. Uh, where do you tend to like to sit? I, I mean, I'm I'm actually quite a big fan of uh, being the, the second person to the market. I, <laughs> it's quite nice to let the other person take the breeze and then come in. But again, you have to be well strategically positioned to do that. I think people who, who come kind of are, are seen as being second to the market, they're not just sitting back and waiting for somebody else to succeed. They're putting the building blocks in place so that when they see motion in a particular direction, they can move fast. Yeah, and that and that's really important. And some of the uh, ways that you can move fast and and I guess put those building blocks into place is to really have the right team, uh, you know, the right innovative Absolutely. team uh, in place. So, what are some of the qualities that we should be looking for when choosing those types of people? I think uh, Kent Beck probably put it best, or put it in the metaphor that I that I enjoy the most. You know, he he always uh, said that you really need jazz players instead of classical music players. And maybe that's a little unfair to some classical music people, but if, if you picture a typical orchestra, it involves a, a large number of people playing in a very precise pattern according to, to written sheet music, where every little, every little dotted eighth note is written down. And jazz, you just get a piece of paper, which is mostly just blank space. And you get the chord progression, but you really have to figure out what's going on. That's the sort of person you need. The sort of person who's not afraid to duck responsibility, but will take whatever role is demanded from them in the moment. You know, meaning that if, if the garbage needs to be taken out, that's what needs to happen. If they need to work on marketing, well, that's what needs to happen there. They're not afraid to work on weekends. They don't shirk responsibility. Uh, they just roll up their sleeves, and whenever they see something that needs to get done, they do it. Yeah, and, and that can be really important. I think you certainly are um, kind of alluding to that person who can be flexible, who can can fill in with whatever their talents are. I mean, certainly uh, not everyone listening may have a, an experience in a band or those things, but there are all those moments, all those songs where, you know, you're just playing the rhythm and other times you're playing the lead and other times you are, uh, you know, kind of just filling in a particular space to allow other people to, to really shine. And, and that can, exactly. you know, 
it, it's not completely scripted to your point. Uh, exactly. What happens in those moments can change change from every different time you play that song based on the moods and based on what's happening with the audience and everything. So it's a great metaphor for, I guess, thinking about innovation. Um, exactly. It, and, and you know that when you interview somebody right away. I mean, if they're, if they're asking for, if you ask them a question, you know, what would you do in this situation or how would you proceed with this project? And, and they just give you a, a step one, step two, step three then you know that's probably not the person who's going to succeed in a highly risky, uh, innovative environment. You need somebody who's first going to say, well, these are the questions I need to answer first. Uh, these are the things that I need to discover. They're very good at laying out what they need to learn. Uh, they're not necessarily the people who can immediately tell you, here's my 10-step plan over the next four years. But they're very good at identifying risks. Right, right. And, and, you know, there's so many ways that we can get this right. There's also so many ways where we can kind of, you know, I guess, get this wrong. I mean, we've often seen, you know, innovation sort of be targeted to, to, to people in a maybe less intentional way. And I think we kind of forget that we bring in people to do a job. We bring them in to, to be successful at the thing that we're doing right now in our organizations. Um, and so at some level, they're sort of, you know, they're being uh, rewarded uh, both with money and praise and everything to kind of keep that thing going, to keep doing that yeah. thing that they were brought in to do. Uh, but ultimately, there are so many examples, I mean, from, from Kodak to, you know, analog phones to whatever we want to, example we want to throw in there about people who just kept doing the same thing despite what the market was doing. So where, where are some of the areas maybe uh, to kind of add to that where you're seeing uh, failure in innovation? Uh, failure in terms of supporting innovation or failure in terms of the innovation itself? I think in, in, in making it occur, right? In, in making sure the organization is thinking about it and, and ultimately finding those things. Um, I think there is a real failure for the innovation departments to coordinate successfully with HR and make HR a really good partner in the innovation process. And, and that goes from what you're kind of implying in terms of, you know, what are the performance reviews uh, set up as? What are the KPIs that people are targeting? Because if it's quarterly results, you're obviously not going to get somebody looking really carefully at a disruptive project that might transform the business five or ten years out. Uh, that person needs to make their quarterly targets. And even the ways that performance reviews are done um, on a, a very often on a, a yearly basis now, that's just not going to be relevant for somebody who's working on a project which, which needs to get to market in the next three months or at least needs to you know, find a go-no-go no go point in the next three months based on market data. There's just no incentive for that person who's working on an innovation project to come back to their boss and say, hey, boss, the idea that you put me to work on is a bad idea. You know, it's just an entirely different reward system, an entirely different mindset. And I don't think leaders have done a good enough job at actually engaging HR departments to rethink how innovators are rewarded. Um, and that's something that I think really needs to change. And that really gets into the concept of having, you know, innovation as a part of the overall cultural impact um, and having yeah. to think about those things. I mean, I, I've gone into organizations and, and just, just looked at what their executives' goals were to, to f come find out that three out of the four of them could never all reach their goals at the same time. They were all sort of competitive to each other. <laughs> right. right? Um, and so yeah. you're just sort of setting your organization up to fail and you're setting it up to just be fighting and, and, and you know, politics and everything instead of the organization working towards this sort of larger thing, right? 
uh, or a rewarding innovation or rewarding those things, uh, to your point. Um, yeah. Well, we're, we're, we're sort of uh, getting close here to almost being out of time. I want to make sure we ask our two most important questions. And the first one is, is what book are you reading right now or what book do you generally suggest people uh, check out? Well, I'll, I'll say that I usually flip back and forth between a, a good business book and a good sci-fi book. So right now I'm reading uh, Rita McGrath's uh, Seeing Around Corners, which is a, a wonderful book about how to how to predict the future more effectively, how to see those turning points in the technology or the trends uh, before they happen. And then I, I really like to flip back and forth between something just com- completely off the wall, uh, like Neil Stevenson's um, Sevens is, is a really good one that I just recently finished. Just people looking at technology and, and what's coming up and really taking it to the extreme, I find it a really good way of opening up your brain. Well, those are great suggestions, and this is why we ask this question, because we love to get the kind of really different answers and different types of things that uh, people that we uh, whose brains we want to pick uh, are certainly reading and, and enjoying right now. Uh, and then most importantly is how can people get a hold of you or find out more about Chromatic if they want to work with you and your organization? What's the best way for them to do that? Sure. Be- best way to do that is absolutely just go to our website, chromatic.com, K-R-O-M. ATIC.com, um, or you can, of course, just go to my blog at grasshopperherder.com. Um, that's where I just dump my uh, dump my daily thoughts down. Grasshopper Herder, I love that uh, website. It's almost like uh, herding cats, but instead you're trying to herd grasshoppers, which might actually be more yeah. difficult than trying to herd a cat. So <laughs> it's it's a long story, but a true one. <laughs> well, Tristan, thank you so much for being our guest today uh, and sharing so many great insights, especially around innovation. Uh, hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on all that you're doing. Thank you very much for having me, Chris. I really appreciate you taking the time. All right, everyone, we'll take a quick commercial break, and we'll right back with my second guest, uh, Craig uh, Kissinger. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months, and the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to Talent Talk Radio Show. Don't forget to go to TalentTalkRadio.com and you can subscribe there to be alerted to new episodes or uh, listen to past episodes. Uh, Everything from we've had the head of uh, General Motors, uh, of talent on to the head of uh, people at Southwest Airlines. We've had just a lot of fantastic people giving us great uh, advice on our talent and what they're thinking of. Uh, you can also go to uh, iTunes or iHeartRadio and check us out there by typing in Talent Talk. Uh, and of course, don't forget to follow us on uh, Twitter right now at PeopleG2 or follow that hashtag, all one word, Talent Talk. Sarah is live tweeting all the best stuff 
and we'd love to have your comments, your suggestions, argue with us, agree with us, whatever. We like to have that conversation going there. Even if it's not live, if it's after the fact, we'll keep it going. All right, my next guest is Craig Kissinger, uh, Director of Human Resources for National Tube Supply. Uh, Craig, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate you uh, taking the time to talk to me today. Yeah, we're excited to have you on. And why don't you tell everyone, this is always the way we like to start off the show, is tell us about you, what's important for us to know in our conversation today. And of course, tell us uh, you know, more about your company and what you're doing there. Sure. So uh, I've been uh, doing human resources for a bit over 20 years, and uh, I kind of, kind of pride myself on um, kind of being very authentic in HR and kind of as, as I've been described by t- peers and particularly my operations peers, uh, kind of un-HR, right? I, I think more like a, a true business operations perch than uh, just HR is my craft. Uh, I do that here at National Tube Supply, NTS for short, where we are a national distributor of steel mechanical tube. Uh, mechanical tube is used in applications, anything rotational. So if you think conveyor systems, industrial recycling equipment, uh, agriculture, it's also used for fluid power and hydraulics. My team uh, is small but, but powerful. Uh, we provide full-scope HR services from uh, employee relations to payroll to executive coaching and recruiting across uh, five locations, including up in Canada. Well, fantastic. And it certainly sounds like you're, you're busy, and I'm, I'm interested in kind of understanding the un-HR uh, uh, comment in a, in, a, in a moment. But maybe we could start with uh, how do managers effectively manage their team? Given sort of, you know, today's lack of engagement in some organizations, where are you seeing the best managers be effective? You know, I think that that's, that's the problem today, Chris, is that a lot of managers struggle with that, is um, – I find uh, in a lot of organizations that I've gone into or as I talk to people, uh, the challenge is getting managers to actually manage. We, we look at a large percentage of, of employees are, as they say, they're disengaged or partially disengaged. And part of that, I think, is driven from managers not being engaged themselves, right? So it's, it's really... Uh, finding managers that are engaged and really take an active interest uh, in their employees, right? Um, you know, I think the challenge is, is, you know, a lot of managers don't know how to engage their their workforce, whether it be, you know, we hear a lot of the reason today is because they struggle with the generational issues, Um you know, where you have baby boomers trying to manage millennials. But it's, you know, when I've had discussions about that, it's not very different than, you know, when when the baby boomer was new to the workforce and they had a manager or a supervisor that was in their 50s or 60s, right? So we, we've, we've dealt with this many times over. We just, we just often forget, right, and we have to relearn it. Yeah, and I think you're right. And there's whether it's misconceptions or just a lack of, well, I'm just going to avoid the what I can perceive as a problem. I, I, one of the one of the things that I've noticed is that no one ever seems to ask employees, you know, how engaged do you want to be? 
you know, do do, do you want to be a hundred percent engaged? Do you want to, do you want work to be like the best thing that you've ever, I mean, are you looking to reach that 100% number or are you someone who's coming and, and yeah, you want to be happy with what you're doing and you want to, you know, do a good job, but you know, this is like, if you're at 65%, you're, that's a lot for you. And, and the rest of your attention for your life is, is going to go other places. And, and so do you see that with a sort of this, you know, managers are thinking I've got to get them to hundred percent and, and there's a disconnect between where the employees are in their life at that moment uh, in their journey of whatever it is they're trying to do with work, and 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 no one's no one's kind of talking about that. Yeah, I I really think that th- that's the hard thing is that there has to be uh, a balance, right? Um, whether you're talking about engagement or uh, you know everybody wants to have a team of top performers, but in a lot of organizations you need the person. That is just, you know, that slow and steady shows up every day, does their job, and is okay with doing that tactical grind uh, day in and day out. And, and that's, that's the challenge where managers struggle with, with how do they work with a workforce that has all of those aspects, some people that are highly engaged, some people that are somewhere in the middle, uh, or non-engaged people, just the people that are showing up and doing that job every day. And, and I think as we think about that, it's, it's our job as managers to, to look at that workforce. And, and I, I like to use the word manipulate, where people take a negative connotation of that, but we need to ma- manipulate our people to drive results. Because ultimately, as managers, that's what we do. We, we get results through other people. I could not have the successes that I have without having great people underneath me to, to do the, their job uh, excellent every single day. So, you know, understanding that, uh, you've got to find out what does each individual need to, to fulfill their what what engagement means to them because you know we've heard it say you know my 100% might be different than somebody else's 100% they're they're giving 100% right um well that's the same thing with engagement one person's definition of engagement and 100% engagement might be different from somebody else's so you have to as a manager identify what does that mean to each individual and 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 how do you balance your team in order to get a desired result. Yeah, and this is a great concept that was brought up in Kim, uh, Kim Scott's book, Radical Candor, that there are people at different stages of their career who are able to be your A player, top performer, and at other stages of their life, whether it's because they're actively having a family, they're caring for a sick spouse or parent or whatever, or maybe they have a health issue, or whatever their situation is, there are times in their career where they cannot be their top performer, and they cannot be that person that, you know, 100% engaged. And I think it's up to the managers to have these conversations to figure out where that person is today, um, and, and, and be open to the fact that that may change for them in the future at some point, and be able to plug them in and, and maneuver them based on where they are. Um, and, and of course, organizations to figure out that's a fit for for everybody in the long term um but you know instead of us i think showing up and saying my goal as a manager is for everyone to be 100 percent engaged and that's 
you know, and half your workforce is saying, you know, I just, I, I'm going to do the best job I can for you, but I'm not, you know, thinking about work 100% of the time that I'm awake. Um, that's just not going to happen. Are, are there yeah, other things that organizations can do to kind of get better at their engagement strategies? Yeah, I think uh, they can. They can, you know, first of all, they have to embrace it, right? They have to know that uh, that there's a gap. They have to understand what that gap is and then embrace it and train for it, right? We need to train managers to be authentic and have human com- conversations and understand that, you know, people are unique beings and that we have to understand from their perspective. Um, I'm also a, a, a soccer coach outside of work with, with uh, young kids, and I teach the kids to be selfless, not selfish. And a lot of times I think managers are, are what, can, what can my employees do for me to make me look good? But I think we have, as managers, we have to ask the question, what can we do to help our employees look good, to help them fulfill the best that they can be? And then in the end, if we're authentic about that, the employees will will see that, and your people will make uh, taking care of you and your customers a priority. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that we sort of look at with our engagement strategies is trying to figure out how do we deal with some of the, you know, talent issues that we're having right now. For a lot of people, are calling it a talent gap, uh, or, or certainly finding the people uh, who have the right talent to to fit the need that we have today. What are some of your thoughts on our current talent gap? Well, I think in terms of talent gap, I think we're we're about to come full circle. I know. Uh, Back when I was in uh, junior high and, and college, there were still trade programs and, uh, you know, kind of the auto shop and woodworking and all that. And a lot of that has gone away. And for various reasons, our, our parents who were baby boomers who may have not been college educated uh, have, have pushed us to go to college, right? And then we learn from our parents. So then as we've had kids, we've pushed our kids to go to college. Well, the end result is we're pushing everybody to go to college, and that's not a sustainable, complete workforce, right? And, and in fact, what we're finding is um, we're pushing so many people to college, and the colleges aren't keeping up with the, the fast evolution of of business and and as Tristan talked about the the dynamic innovation that's happening in businesses in order to be successful that even people that are going to college they're they're graduating and they don't necessarily have the skill set to be successful. Uh, and I think Sherm just wrote uh, a very nice three part uh, story on that how how there's there's even a gap as as we are sending people into our university institutions. So I think maybe we've pushed too hard uh, in the wrong direction. Um, I think everybody needs an education. It's just that not everybody needs a, a four-year education. So we need to get back to focusing on, you know, the work that needs to be done. Uh, and, you know, that might be different today. Right, uh, we're starting to see a swing back 
where you know more schools are talking about apprenticeship programs or career and technical programs which is good because you know again a lot of people you know were being pushed to college and and that was not their best destiny they'd be successful going somewhere else and and certainly would not be accumulating the student debt that people are today yeah and you know there there certainly is uh, this idea that we ask kids to decide what they want to do decide the school decide their major and then go have a career and that certainly if you look at the last 30 years is not the the path that most people have taken they they, they pick pick something and then they've had several careers they've done different things they've learned different things and maybe it's just a matter of a mindset is instead it's what do you want to do right now um and go do that thing and if you don't want to do that anymore then you can go get you know education or skills training or whatever it is in the next area and then go do that um and that will kind of allow people to i guess the flexibility instead of well i'm going to be a teacher therefore i'm a teacher forever or i'm going to go and be an electrician therefore i'm an electrician forever uh whatever those things are i think that Sometimes that can kind of maybe pigeonhole people or put them into that idea that they have to have that that career. Um, well, I think and, part of it. Sorry, Chris. I was saying no, go ahead. Part of it though is because we're not asking people the question: What are you passionate about? What do you enjoy? Again, because you know, I talk to guidance counselors and and I beg them, in order you know, in order for the kids to be successful, actually guide them, have that conversation. Uh, and guide them to to follow what they're interested in versus again trying to uh, match a a state standard for you know the number of kids that are going to go to a four year institution or get a scholarship uh, and I think if they they do that they're going to find that uh, you know they're going to be a lot more successful and. You know, where today there's a stigma where kids bounce all over the place, right? Uh, or even young adults, you know, uh, are bouncing all over the place. And the idea behind the gig economy where, to your point, Chris, somebody does this for a little bit, then they go and do this for a little bit, and then they turn around and they do something else for a little bit. I personally think that that's because they haven't taken the time to to find out what do they enjoy, right? What What's their meaning of deep work? Yeah, and, you know, I guess understanding that and, and getting that and, and remembering that not everyone can even answer that question uh, at 19 or 18 when they're, I guess, sort of in some of these decision-making processes. You know, I think I changed my major probably more times than I have fingers um, along the way and ended up with something that I didn't really end up using anyway. So, um, you know, it's interesting how, we have this sort of reality and then we have these sort of expectations of people. Uh, you know, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about is we often, and in fact, even our, our last guest uh, at the beginning of the show talked about this, about sort of this connection between uh, innovation and culture and, and the things that we're trying to do in organizations and actually effectively using HR or, or bringing HR in to help them be effective into these processes. So, you know, as a director of HR and someone who's managing an HR team, how do you really ensure that you know, the team is really living up to those expectations of helping the organization meet its strategic goals? So I think the way I've done that with, at least with my team, is by creating a vision and, and setting the expectation. So 
with the teams that I've worked with, I, I try to set an example of how I look for them to partner with operations, uh, with other leaders in the organization, other parts of the organizations, and, and then fulfill those behaviors themselves. Here at National Tube Supply, uh, I went through the process with my team. After working with them for a while, I've, I've asked them what, what were their observations of, of how I like to conduct business and the values that I was trying to instill in them. Um, and collectively, we sat down, we discussed them, and we looked at, you know, where was the commonality in what we were seeing in, in those observations, and we documented them in, in something that we've called the HR way. And that's kind of our vision statement where, you know, if, if we're not doing it the HR way, the question is, should we be doing it? Uh, the HR way for us is providing a personalized customer service experience. That goes back to treating each individual as an individual, you know, not trying to have that blanket answer for everybody. Obtaining positive results through teamwork, right? Uh, today, uh, if we're not approaching things with a collaborative mindset, hey, we might be missing something. Uh, always in HR, do the right thing, right? And, and sometimes that's, that's very simple. It could be, you know, recently my team saw that uh, somebody was going to be short on a check and, and they had to take a mandatory deduction. They made the decision to postpone that deduction, right, because it was the right thing to do because they were going to continue employment. So why not extend it out so that that individual doesn't have uh, a hardship because they might have a family at home to take care of. And finally, uh, have fun. Um, that's where the, the comment on un-HR comes from is, is really trying to inject fun into the workplace uh, every day, both in my individual interactions and, and in my uh, business professional interactions. Yeah, and I'm glad that you were able to explain uh, kind of your approach into into some of that uh, in, in the unHR uh, component. And I don't think people realize how much you know making some of those human decisions, like you know delaying that uh, that deduction, like you mentioned, what a huge impact that can have not only to engagement but to retention uh, and just overall you know connectiveness inside an organization when someone makes a you know a decision to help someone out that doesn't hurt anyone, doesn't hurt the company, you're just delaying something. Uh, or changing how it's going to be done, uh, and it makes such a huge impact for somebody, uh, that same person is more likely to stick around, they're more likely to do a better job, they're more likely to recommend your organization to their friends and to people looking for, for a job. Um, and, and that probably caught, that, that single act probably cost you guys nothing. It was just a simple, you know, someone made a human decision. Uh, and it's really great you guys are, are kind of looking for those ways uh, to make an impact with your, with, with your team. That, that's absolutely true, Chris. And, and in this specific case, the the employee actually ended up talking afterwards to one of our one of the people on my team and expressed exactly that that they've never had somebody kind of go out of their way to, to try to do the right thing that way. And I think it it left a lasting impression on that individual, and they were really thankful for it. Right. Well, what do you feel are some of the skills that you need to be an effective 
you know, director of HR versus, you know, what are maybe some of the differences on what you kind of, I guess, what you look at as being primary uh, things for you to excel at versus maybe let's just say an operations director, right? So, so I think in, in, in some cases to be effective, the, the skills are, are somewhat the, the same, right? Uh, it's just we're each specialists in our, our own area uh, because, again, ultimately as, as managers, we drive results through people, right? So on the operational side, they're doing it based on whether it be manufacturing methods or, uh, you know, whatever their craft or whatever their company does. Uh, for me, though, it's, it's, I'm a business person and my trade is on the, the HR side. So I think to be successful, um, you know, some of the things that I've done is I've specifically not stayed in my lane, right, where I've gone out of my way to learn about our operations and not just the high-level stuff that I find uh, many HR people do, but really to, to intimately go out and understand what is our business about? How do we make money? Um, I'm, I'm not afraid to ask my uh, peers, my other executive peers, business questions uh, within a meeting in the context to, you know, that, that I'm going to be embarrassed that I don't know something. Um, I think the other thing that skill set that I've, I've uh, utilized is I, I create meaningful relationships and I, and I follow through on them. I think that's the hardest thing is uh, as managers where we have uh, many conflicting priorities is we don't create a system to, to have follow-up with people we have interactions with. You know, we might say, hey, we'll get that to you, and then we forget, right? So I think just having the skill set of, of having a sense of urgency and following through so that when, when you say uh, you're going to do something or get it done, you, you, you actually do that. Um, and again, to me, that, that goes to, you know, living the HR way, right, and kind of doing what I say and saying what I do. Um, right. I also try to be very present, so uh, I try to interact with, with all of our employees. Uh, I, I never want to be considered that, that HR person who only shows up when something bad is happening, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. I, I will regularly spend time, you know, conversing on various topics with our, with our people at, at all different levels. And, and, and I try to bring fun into the mix. You know, I, to, just today, somebody asked, well, we know based on last year, Craig, on Thursday, you're going to be showing up in costume. What are you wearing this year? Last year, I, I <laughs> right. walked around our well, warehouse in a goofy costume, handing out candy to people. Right. And some of that stuff can just be huge um, and it can make such a huge difference. And, um, you know, we're almost out of time here. I want to make sure we ask you our two most important questions yep. uh, very quickly here. And that is, uh, what are you reading right now? So I, I actually just finished a book. 
that I, I really enjoyed, and, and really the topic was reinforced at a uh, Illinois Sherm conference that I went to. It was uh, a book by Alan Alda uh, said, if, if I understood you, would I have this look on my face? And really it, it, it focused on communication and the art and science of communication and, and how uh, empathy and relating to people really is at the heart of communication. And it goes into talking about how um, training and improvisation can help people with uh, empathy and relating to to others. And I assume this is Alan Alda from MASH fame and and other uh, movies and things? It is, and I am a huge yeah. Alan Alda fan, and I, <laughs> I heard it on the podcast Hidden Brain, just a, a synopsis, and, and I immediately, uh, you know, that week went and got the book. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I'm a big fan, too. So how can people find out more about National Tube Supplies or interested in reaching out? What's the best way for them to do that? So uh, we have a presence out on Twitter and LinkedIn, and you can go to our website at nationaltubesupply.com. Uh, you can also find me out on LinkedIn uh, as well. And it's Fantastic, Craig. Thanks so much for joining me today uh, and talking through all of this with us. Hopefully we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on your career and everything that you're doing. I appreciate you taking the time today, Chris. Thanks for having me. All right, next week my guests will include Steve Sisler, president of Behavioral Research Group, and Paul Gibbons, author, professor, scholar, speaker, and consultant in HR. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.